0: Podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network.
1: So I bought some trainers off a drug dealer recently. I don't know what he laced them with, but I was tripping all day. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, I like it. Don't do drugs, yeah. kids. By the way. <laughs> no, <okay. laughs> Nate, I loved it. I loved it.
1: Good, short and, short and snappy. Credit to um, my friend Graham for bailing me out because I, I was I didn't actually have a joke this morning, and I asked him. And uh, he fired me that one, which I quite liked. Look at you, the contacts!
2: Wow! And it was a joke and a public service announcement.
1: Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> I've, I've I've finally ticked off that public service announcement commitment <laughs> that I keep I keep delaying.
0: And also, it means we've got a backup, Nate. So if you're never here, then we can use Graham to stand in. For yeah, I mean, I joke. shouldn't
1: have, I shouldn't have mentioned Graham <laughs> because he would definitely stand in at a moment's notice and do fine. Um, Graham, gives us a call. Yeah. Graham from, um, I'll give I'll give Graham and my housemate Ian another shout out for their great podcast. It's called The Podcast Nobody Asked For. They review movies. I was on it at one point, but don't hold that against them. It's actually quite good.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, Nate, the moment you've been waiting for, my score.
1: Yeah, we need to get a drum roll uh, audio for this, don't we? Sort
0: yeah, it, so. unfortunately, listeners, Nate just did a like an impression of him playing the drums, which obviously you can't appreciate. Yeah, and sadly, it took, me,
1: it took me about half a second to realise that nobody could hear hear that except for me <laughs> in my head so that was quite a, that was quite an embarrassing moment but yeah sorry lads go on what's the what's the score
0: eight oh wow
1: okay mega
0: i I'm really like there. it because it, it falls into the category of i would i would use that myself um so i liked it
2: well done Graham. <laughs>
0: Welcome to the paddock, podcast featuring stories following Formula One around the world. I'm Lawrence Beretto, senior writer at F1.com.
1: And I'm Chris Medland, F1 correspondent at Racer. And I'm Nate Saunders from ESPN.com. Chaps. And racing Chaps. is back. Chaps. It is. Delighted. Back with a bang. I think, so quick question straight off the bat. Best Go. F1 opener for a while? I think it's the best one I can remember seeing since like 2010 when Button won for McLaren. You know, and the whole story, you know, he just joined McLaren. I quite enjoyed that one, but I think this one was probably better. But that's it's the most exciting one I can remember. But maybe I'm
2: maybe I'm wrong. Well, you are there because 2010 was Bahrain and Alonso won.
0: Oh, uh, Nate, <laughs> you're right. So... Button won
2: the second race in Melbourne, oh, but oh, Bahrain right. was the opener that year,
1: and it was dull. Well, what the so what I was saying is, is it the best opener that a British driver won? clearly <laughs> yeah. which you obviously you know you took to mean the, the best the, the best opener ever which is it's, you know which is you know, a bit misleading it's not what I meant clearly <laughs> no okay well I, I'll, I'll just retract what I just said and uh, I'll open the floor to you guys with your superior knowledge
2: No, it does make your point though that there's actually not been that many like great openers and then you confuse like a great Melbourne race and then find out that wasn't actually the first one so yeah it's so rare to get an epic in Melbourne because of the way that track is even though it's a great event um I think that kind of hurts F1 a bit I wrote about this I'm just plugging my own article but I think like it's actually really important we get off to a, an exciting competitive start rather than a dull race because if if we'd have gone to Melbourne from Bahrain testing everyone would have been hyping up like Red Bull and the championship battle and all of that and then if you got a dull race even if they were two fairly closely matched teams but there was just no actual racing going on The people that tuned in to see, oh, you know, is this going to be good this year? will be like, "Eh, it's not great. Whereas by having it in Bahrain, where we've got a proper good wheel-to-wheel fight and some controversy, and you didn't know who was going to win until the very last lap, that was perfect. So I think we need more of that because I think what Sky had their highest ratings ever for a Grand Prix, ESPN were up 72% on last year's Bahrain. ESPN was massively up. Um, So, I mean, admittedly, I think Netflix plays a part in that with the US audience. They've just seen the new series and then gone. Yeah, I'll go check out this race. But um, yeah, that should mean all those people that watched it that normally might not have, have seen a great
1: race, which is when banging. It, it matched it matched the excitement that Netflix creates in those episodes. You know, Netflix makes all of it seem very dramatic and like every race is like that, which we know it's not. But I think anyone who watched Netflix, you're right, matters. If someone had watched the Netflix series and then watched a really dull opener in Melbourne, would have been like, Well, what, <laughs> what, what was the Netflix thing I watched about? So you should see a lot of people retained, hopefully um and and kind of keep watching but yeah I thought it was I thought it was fantastic really really entertaining
0: so the solution then is just to move Australia further back in the calendar then isn't it because as you said it's a great event and we still definitely want Australia on the calendar it's just not maybe the right event um to have at the start of the season
2: well so I think it might be perfect this year one because of when it is in the calendar in terms of that might work anyway but two they're editing the track slightly aren't they they're doing some modifications that might make it better for racing And if that does work, then you're like, okay, then maybe we can move Melbourne back to the front of the back to the front uh, of the calendar. Whereas if it had been at its normal date, they wouldn't have been able to do that fix in time. So they wouldn't have made the track modifications. So, yeah, we'll learn a lot this year, I guess.
0: And I think it definitely helps having the first race at the same venue as the tests, because I think a lot of teams really benefited from that. And I think by default, then the field was much closer. So as exciting as it was at the front of the field, it was exciting, I thought, throughout um, throughout the field as well.
2: Yeah, and I guess one of the other good things about it is that we didn't look so stupid because we actually predicted things that were pretty much right because we'd seen the track that they were going to be running on and could actually call it right. Whereas if we'd have gone to Melbourne again, different circuit, different layout might have suited teams differently. And everything you've said after testing suddenly comes across as totally wrong.
1: I was thinking about NASCAR as well, you know, starting the season with the Daytona 500, like one of the flagship events, I think really helps you get that excitement because it's like, stri- it's not like they build up to that. It's like straight in, you get that. So I think it's, it is, I, I think Bahrain is actually becoming quite a good place for for good racing. Um, and it, it feels, back in the day, I wouldn't have been that excited about Bahrain, but ever since they've moved it under the lights, I feel like it's become a real flagship race. So I feel like it's, it. I'm not saying it's like the Daytona 500, obviously, but you need a race like that, that like kind of stands out as like, this is going to be a great opener to kick it off. Um, so yeah, yeah, I think you're right.
2: And cars look cool under the lights, get loads of sparks. And uh, Bretta got to see sparks in person. Didn't you get to stand trackside for the formation? Laps?
0: I did. Yes. So that was a new thing that we're trying on F1 TV this year, where um, I stand about five or six metres away from the track. Uh, they gave me some cans so I could actually hear myself. Um, and then I got to watch the cars come out. So that was the first time actually that I'd got to see uh, the cars all year because at testing, it was so busy that I didn't actually get to go trackside. So
1: when you um, said cans, I thought they'd given you some beers to sort of sit trackside with. Yeah, exactly. I mean, in, in a in, deck, in, like, chair. deck chair. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> it's important to be comfortable.
1: Did you have I one of those hats, you know, where you put the beer in the hat and you have a straw <laughs> yeah, yeah. No. It had F1.com right on the front.
0: Well, I am open to ideas going forward. So I'll see what I can get the production team to sort me out.
2: Who was the rudest driver to you in testing?
0: Um no one was rude to me. Oh was a shame. Like
2: if it was like Vettel, I was gonna be like, you'd be sat there with the beer hat on in your deck chair, and as he comes out for his installation lap you're like, screw you, sir.
1: <laughs> anyway, so, sorry. so rowdy so, rowdy Barretta. Is that why that's why they got two, isn't it? Because Lawrence radioed in was like, I'm enjoying this too much. Send them out well, again. Yeah, they the, push yeah, the button on shot. Perez's engine. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. then they're all like, okay, fine. <laughs> No comment. <laughs> <laughs> what was it? Um, what so? What was it like trackside? Like seeing because, like you said, first time you'd seen those cars uh, up close. Which one was the most impressive?
0: So, what was what I found quite amazing is how quickly they accelerate from outside from the pit exit to the first corner. It's not actually that long, but the speed that you still get from that. Um, was incredible and then also the speed differential you have from obviously the guys coming out of the pit lane and then those who are coming around um, on their on, on their own lap up to speed is, you can see that quite impressively as well so I, I just I just loved being outside ra- watching a racing car live it just was it was just really cool
2: anyway that concludes this episode Nate and I are going to uh, go and join our oh, yeah. sorrows now in jealousy
1: I saw the formation lap from the office in Hammersmith, it wasn't quite the same view. Um, oh, I'm sorry. No, no, no. Hey, I, I, I fully endorse you being out there, man. I think it's great that you get get to be out there.
0: If it makes you feel better, it was really cold. Does that make you feel better? No, no, <laughs>
1: it doesn't at all. <laughs> it, it makes me feel worse because I'd love I'd love a bit of a you know, chilly desert evening. Although that um, does but- explain why
2: you're wearing a scarf at one point on one of your F1 TV shows. Although we should. Yes people big announcement actually for listeners of the pad hoc who may not have been able to celebrate this yet but we are actually graced by the presence of channel four's lawrence <laughs> barretto right now celebrity uh, who yeah who made his debut on uh, terrestrial british television i believe
0: um i did thank you very much chaps um i'm sorry that you will have to see my mug now not only on f1 tv channels but uh, on channel four uh, for a couple of weekends this year well 10 weekends this year um guys it was the most exciting thing I've ever done I think so um I really 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 enjoyed it um ever. the first day in in my job not ever
2: okay just check <laughs>
0: from, from a work related uh from a work related thing so yeah. I feel sorry for
1: feel sorry for all your former girlfriends Lawrence yeah, exactly. <laughs> or current ones <laughs> Or um, so yeah, yeah <laughs> you know whatever current ones by, plural by ones. we don't know
0: So for absolute clarity, it's definitely (laughs) singular. (laughs) And it's definitely
1: work-related as well, for (laughs) for super clarification. (laughs) Yeah,
0: exactly. That's why
1: this this podcast exists, for clarifications of things like that. (laughs) I
0: only seem to get in trouble, guys, when I do a podcast with you. I don't know what the the reason is behind that.
1: (laughs) I'll take full full blame
2: for that. That's on me. But I was going to say, I feel sorry for Ronnie O'Sullivan, because you played snooker with him. Apparently that's not as exciting. As walking no. around talking about rookies.
0: Yes. No, but so I did that. So I talked about rookies on day one. And then on day two, I talked to one of those rookies, Yuki Tsunoda. And that was, uh, that was very, very cool because everyone is excited about Yuki Tsunoda. We were talking this weekend about how everyone's excited about Formula 1 generally. But I don't think I can remember a time of, of working in Formula 1 where anyone is excited about a racing driver coming through. And he's actually just a very, very, very cool guy. Um, so we did a like a two minute hit just before he we went to the driver um, presentation, which is normally they'd get on a truck and go around the track. But these days they just do it in, um, in the pit lane. And uh, he was running a little bit late. So he gobbled down his lunch uh, so quickly. I think he had a little bit of indigestion. I felt really sorry for him, but he just didn't want to be late to the interview. And I think that's just one example um, of the kind of guy that he is. Like he takes media... As seriously as he does any other tasks that he's got um as part of his day job in formula one and i think i'm getting on well with it because he's got quite a good shoe style and the socks that he had on for the interview had like this really cool like neon yellow pattern um so i've got extra respect for him because he's got a strong shoe game slash shot game i was there just thinking train.
1: we should have it's timed there. this bit of the interview for when the train comes past your house Lawrence. <laughs> been perfect. We could have been like it could have come past and we're like, speaking of which, Yuki Sonoda. Um that's are you that's on the hype on train
2: Nate?
1: Yeah, I'm fully on. I mean, I'm I'm late to it because I know that especially you Med, as you you've you covered F2 a lot closer. And I a lot closer. I mean, I don't I don't tend to get to watch a lot of that. I'll see races in passing, maybe. And everyone who <clears throat> has been involved in F2 has been talking about Tsunoda for maybe 12 months and or maybe a bit longer. Um and yeah, I'm fully on it. I mean, I was quite excited. I was reading a lot about him over preseason. And then he did that lap at the end of the third day, the final day. And everyone was like, that's mega. And then Q1 when he went second again there. Um, and then in the race, like watching that compilation of his passes, I know that they were all kind of DRS helped at turn one, but all of them super late on the breaks. The one on Stroll right at the end was just brilliant. It came from so far back. Um, and yeah, he just seemed like, like Lawrence said, just seems like a nice guy. I like what he said about Alonso. You know, he said it was really emotional passing him, my boyhood hero. And even was like, it's a shame. I know Alonso couldn't fight me the way he might have done in a better car. Like he just seems to be quite like he wasn't being arrogant about it. He was like, how cool was that? But also I know that if Alonso had been able to fight me, he would have done. And I think he said, I, I copied Alonso for a few corners. And he was like, immediately my driving was better. I was like, what a, what a dude. Mm-hmm. Like not a lot of drivers admit that stuff. So I think it was pretty cool.
2: Yeah, so I've dealt with Yuki quite a lot, actually, um, through some of the work I've had to do with Honda uh, in the past. So that like, as he's been coming up and done a bunch of interviews with him and media bits, and he's just so nice and like humble and excitable, but he'll just do pretty much anything you ask him to do as well. He's not, he's not a prima donna or anything like that. And um, he's just been a lot of fun to deal with so far. But yeah, the excitement around him was quite early on. I think Honda likes to get excited anyway about young Japanese drivers that they're supporting who might make it to F1 because there hadn't been one for a while. I want to say it was Matsushita for a spell. Um, I'm trying to think who else there was. There's definitely more than one. And and then Yuki came through. And by then I was like, okay, another potential prospect. But, you know, we'll wait and see. And then he did a test with Carlin. So he was driving for Carlin in F2 last year. And I did an interview with Trevor Carlin during lockdown last year. And he said they'd had a bunch of cars out at Silverstone. They'd rented the whole track. And it's when they ran. Lando drove there. Carlos drove there. Alex drove there. uh, Latifi. So they had a bunch of drivers all getting some track time, just normally in F3 cars or like hybrid F3 cars, just to kind of get sharp again after lockdown. And Yuki was there. And Trevor said the best part about the whole test was seeing Yuki like come out of his shell and like race and scrap with these guys and joke with them and just like be himself. Like he started off really timid and and finished the few days like in a really good mood and confident. And and he said he's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, And then, yeah, he was very impressive last year, a little bit up and down, but got the job done when he needed to. But then I did an interview with um, the managing director of Honda F1, Yamamoto-san, just before the first race and asked him about Yuki. And he said, we're really excited about him. Like, he's he's a rookie, but he doesn't actually look like a rookie at the moment. And one thing he said was, it's not the same as F2, but we've seen that he's really strong on the brakes. And I think if he carries that in, we're going to see some really exciting, awesome overtakes from Yuki this season. And first race, bang, he's there, like, throwing it down the inside of turn one. Like you say, Nate, it was so so good to watch. Um, especially that one on stroll, you're right. It was absolutely
1: miles back. Well, it looked like a sort of one that you do on the PlayStation, you know, when you're because mm-hmm. sometimes you're like, Well, I can I can probably get this move done, and you'll just hold the brakes down and you might get it. But yeah, it looked and he didn't I didn't seem to lock up either. He got the whole like he, he got the brakes completely right. So it was it was awesome. And it's yeah, I think it was because like that's clearly a strength
2: for his. I was like, remember Ricardo when he went to Red Bull and just got that nailed on the brake by wire system like straight away and he could pass anyone from anywhere it seemed so much more confidence and Yuki seems to have found that instantly which is a really good sign i think for a rookie to get it so early um but he also seems to just make it clear then what he's going to do so he's not he didn't make any last second moves in the sense of like he'd he'd suddenly lunge he kind of would pull out just before he's going to hit the brakes and be like i'm going to throw this down inside at you and and you imagine the driver up front is like, you're not even going to get to me from there. And then suddenly it's like, oh, no, you've done it. Well, yeah, fair play. So that's why I think there weren't accidents because it was clear what he was going to do. He was just so good at doing it.
1: When Stroll didn't seem to, you know, react to it. So I'm not sure whether Stroll was as surprised as everyone else. I mean, people have kind of been saying, well, what was Stroll doing there? But he might have just thought, well, this guy's never going to make the move from back there. And by the time he's committed to it, he thinks, well, there's nothing. He can't turn in then because obviously that is completely against the, the rules. You can't you, know, you can't just turn in on someone passing you. So yeah, I thought um, very impressive. I wonder what Honda are thinking at the moment because you know we know they're pulling out F1. Red Bull are now right at the front of the pack and they've got this guy coming through. Everyone's buzzing about the Japanese driver. You know, the first the first Japanese driver to to be an F1 for so long. I feel like at some point someone in Honda is going to be like, guys, can we? Uh, can we talk about this decision and maybe maybe see if we I know I know I know that they've they've explained that you know it's a long-term decision and it's not based on the here and now, but at some point, surely someone maybe maybe not, maybe it will be a cultural thing. You know, there's obviously a very strong culture at Honda, so that might not be the case. But if it was me, I'd be thinking, guys, we've probably we've probably picked the wrong time to come out here. Well, you're full of regret, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I've very I've given a very interesting insight into my soul there. So I hope everyone enjoys that. <laughs> I'm
2: pretty sure Honda aren't bothered at the moment in the sense that so they've they've nailed their power unit this year because they did so much work over the winter to bring forward and upgrade. But that was because they were leaving, so they wanted to end on a high and they wanted to go out showing what they could do. And now they're doing that; they'll be feeling good about showing that as they leave, rather than rueful. It's not unexpected that they're doing well and that Yuki looks good. They've they've gone for it all this year because it's their last chance to do it. So, I actually think if they weren't leaving. I think Yuki still would have come in. I think he'd done enough in F2 last year to excite everyone and get a shot, but they wouldn't have brought in a new power unit yet, so this year maybe they wouldn't be quite so competitive, so we wouldn't have this fight at the front, and they'd be looking to next year. So um, I think it's just because they're leaving, they now look better, that makes sense.
0: I think it's worked out really well in that sense, because I think they'll leave with their heads held high, and obviously that's really important to them, and they can always look back on on what they've managed to achieve. I'm sure that there will be a tinge of regret that it's happened in this way, in the same way that it happened with Braun, of course. But I think that the level of respect that they'll have for what they've achieved, um, and the pride that they'll have from what they've managed to do, and the, just the very fact that they've hopefully helped get Yuki into the sport—you know—that that hopefully could last for for a decade to come. You know, that kind of um, that kind of success. So they can always kind of claim a little bit of that, and they can arguably claim a lot of what Red Bull will end up doing with the Honda ip going forward anyway you know, even if it isn't and it won't be branded honda they can still claim um a large part of that because the only reason that they are where they are now in red bull or even in this position is because of all of the work and the, the money and the, the the strength and the people that they've had there's the train <laughs> so That's we got it we got, we got the hype train in there at some point um so yeah so i'll be put off by the train guys
2: yeah <laughs> uh, it's, it's all right the hype train just derails everyone else there's a, a oh come on there's a train
1: pun two out, two out of ten <laughs> if I can give a if I can give a score for that one that but I love I love a good hype train like uh, what's what other hype
2: trains we had recently that well I this that is it isn't it is,
1: is that is it's the first hype train I can remember for a while where it seems like it's actually gonna be like completely justified you know because so the one I can remember was when we had Nor- uh, Norris Russell Alban come in and I think Russell and Norris have been great, but there was so much tension around Alex when he got the promotion. And I think outside of his control, that kind of didn't go the right way. So I'm always a bit sceptical when it's a Red Bull driver because you're like, well, what's going to happen here? Yeah, um, that's a good point, actually. Because, yeah, Alex got it quite quickly, didn't he? With like a good run at Spa
2: and that, and everyone being like, yeah, what, what a talent, finally getting his chance. Um, I think Perez,
1: nice I think Perez yeah. being there hopefully makes an easier situation because rather than think they have to promote Yuki too quickly... They're like, well, we have, everyone knows how good Perez is. You can keep Sergio there for the, you know, the kind of short to medium term. And then when Yuki or if, if Gasly stays and somehow convinces Red Bull, you know, that he's worthy of a second chance, which I think everyone but Red Bull seems to think is the case. Um, yeah, they can kind of take their time on that. But it's a good question about hype trains. I can't remember any specifically that were this.
0: This it is the biggest since Max though, isn't it? since max no, I,
2: I wouldn't have thought I'd, I'd be surprised if it's that big I, I don't think it was that big before he came in you see like from watching him in f2 and the way people in f2 talked about him and stuff it's it was just that he was going to surprise people that hadn't actually paid enough attention and didn't realize he was going to be quite exciting to watch but i don't think i'm, I'm not putting him up on max level yet I, I was thinking more like it's similar to like leclerc coming in where it's like here's a here's a young driver who's talented from a young driver program going into the junior team and delivering and looks like they'll deliver, Um, you know, they're not going to have a, uh, a, a, slow burn. They're going to be straight in there. Like, yep, yeah, I'm, I'm worth being in F1. Right. Like, when are you going to put me in the big team sort of thing? Um, But, and I'd also argue that Charles been as, as impressive as he was in F2, I don't think anyone looked at him and went like, he's the next Max Verstappen. Uh, personally, I didn't. I think by the end of his year at Alpha, I was like, he's very good. He's definitely worth the Ferrari seat probably sooner than I thought. And at the end of the Ferrari, I was like, he's definitely a, got potential to win a championship or two but Mm. you look at max and you think he's got the potential to be the greatest ever or in terms of numbers if he gets a car that lets him fight for it and as we've seen he's going toe-to-toe with lewis like and you wonder who's going to come out on top when they're racing in equal machinery which is a massive compliment to them both because they're both so good so um Yeah, I don't. I don't think he's quite at that level yet. So I'm slowing
1: the hype train down. I'm pulling the brake. Hey. I think Leclerc's a good comparison actually, because I remember when he came in, and I'd seen I'd seen F2 races with him in as well, and he was always winning. You know, really, really well. And everyone I knew in F2 was like, oh, so who follows F2 closely was saying what they're saying about Sonoda was like, watch this kid, he'll be great. And you can tell sometimes people say, oh, watch this kid, like he should be good. Like we'll see how he does in F2. But they, 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 with Leclerc, there wasn't that caveat, and with Sonoda. No one says if X, Y, Z happens, he'll be good. They're all just like, yeah, he's going to be great. Whereas even like with Mick, I know Mick won the championship, but people are still like, well, we'll see when he gets into it. Because with Haas, it's not going to be a fair representation of how good or bad he is. It's when he steps up a little bit, you'll get that. So um, yeah, definitely the best hype train for a while.
0: I think Yuki's fortunate in that he's also in an AlphaTauri that looks pretty decent. So it's in and around the top of the midfield, can have some weekends where that car is going to be like immensely strong so at least he's going to be at the sharp end able to show um his talent in a way like you kind of suggested Nate that Mick you know he's just not going to have that chance um this year no a good weekend for him might be beating a Williams I guess and so no yeah. one's really going to get excited about that and we're barely going to see what goes on are we
1: well Gunther Steiner was like I just want the drivers to finish races at this point at the start of the season so that's literally where they're out with those two rookies so it's a big difference you're right yeah, that went well for Max, Pin, didn't it? But um, my favourite <laughs> so right stat about- so far is that he's done more formation laps than actual race laps. <laughs> he's done two formation laps and zero race laps. And Beretti's seen them both. Um, I was going to say
2: the uh, Mick thing, though, as well, is he might pull off like a mega lunge on a Williams, but he'll get one chance to do it once, and that's it. Once you pass them, there's no one else to race. Whereas at least with Yuki, because he had a bit of a cautious first lap and dropped back a little bit, he had cars to pass and did it. And then you get this highlights, reel, really, and everyone's like, wow he's amazing so it is quite interesting how it kind of plays out and you're right about how good the car is i mean gasly really if you'd had a clean race probably should have been fourth or fifth in that race um starting on the mediums and where he qualified but uh yeah silly little mistake hitting ricardo which wasn't the
1: smartest thing um, yeah they, they, they were, they were that, gutted about that the team like they, they they thought there was a big result there that they that they let slip through yeah and they, they're gonna
2: this is one of the things when i did like a guess at the ranking for this end of the season, you kind of look at that. And there's just something about Alpha where they do they get some big results and then they miss some others or they don't have the consistency that someone like a McLaren seems to be able to pull out. Um and Dara say it, I think Ferrari will show this year with Leclerc and Science as well. Even if that car looks like it's marginally off where McLaren's at, it's close. But you think the two drivers will mean it's it's picking up points regularly. So that's when that Alpha can't really afford not to do with a car that's clearly quick, but they've just always had that in them, haven't they? The amount of times Franz Toster said, "You know, we're going to finish <laughs> fifth in the constructors," and they've never done it, because even if it's the fifth quicks, quickest car, there's just not the consistency.
1: Wow, F1 chat. Sorry, I thought it was great. I <laughs> completely off brand. We'll have to start a new podcast. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, it's because we are back to. We did get some more uh, reviews in that were all very nice. Um, the majority of which, though, saying like sometimes you guys talk about nothing to do with Formula One. We're like, yeah, we've we've had like an off-season where there has been no racing to talk about or no travelling to talk about, which sadly was the aim of this. But Barreto can give us some more insight. What's What's been exciting? Did you go on a charter? Did you fly private again this last week?
0: <laughs> no, I think my days of flying private chaps um, are over. I was back on a charter plane um, for this race. But, you know, very pleasant. You know, I'm happy with that. Flying in economy, no trouble for me. Flying out there, weren't
2: you... Yeah playing computer games on the oh, plane. Yeah. yes what so we had
0: that? the so we had the front row seats in front of the baby uh, bassinet. tray table bassinet yeah so we so me and my colleague sam barker who does social media for f1 he bought his nintendo switch so we set the switch up on the bassinet and then um we play Mario Kart oh it was Oh, it's among that sounds some great, of the best be times. Like that, as in-flight entertainment goes, that was sensational. It was the best thing since we played. Do you remember playing Mario Kart in Osaka when we went to one of those bars, We found a bar where they um, they had some upside down beer crates and you sat on them, and they had an old snes there, and uh, they bought you drinks while you play Mario Kart. So um, that was the first time I played a computer game since two years. Ago. Mario Kart uh, is
1: such a great game to just like waste time on. It's so fun. It was that I spent hours um, playing
0: it. There's another game that's
2: like it closes in on you, weirdly. Like the, the outside of the screen sort of closes in and you have to run around in the middle basically and, and kill off other people or something that was on the Nintendo as well that was at that bar. But Is that Bomberman? That was it, Bomberman. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so like those were the two that we played a lot of, yeah. In this tiny little bar that had a snake inside, I seem to remember. And we sat outside. Yeah, uh, yeah. And um, yeah, on these up, upturned beer crates. It's just a small like, alley, but in central Osaka just very very japanese really cool and um yeah drinking a lot of beers and playing some games and doing really sad geeky things basically and then went in to uh use the facilities at one point and one of our colleagues julianne who does um i think now tv for banj in brazil um was just in at the bar sat there like holding a snake that the barman that that was just you know part of the show if you if you're at the bar and they have a pet snake so that was weird
1: um yeah a very japanese themed episode this yeah, we've done Yuki, we've done Honda, Snares, Nintendo, Japanese. Bars. Can you
0: imagine how crazy Suzuki is going to be this year if fans are allowed to go and it's like a more mainstream event? Like it's we Fever get... anyway. Yeah, and there we is get... a Japanese driver out there. Sorry.
2: I was going to say, I think we need to get Nate out there with us so that we can do a special episode of the Pad Hawk and it'll be the Pad Hawk in Japan. Oh, yes. especially with our logo, it's perfect for it. So
1: yeah, so Suzuka is the one, one of the races that I haven't done that I really like, it really bugs me that I haven't done it because it's one of my favorite circuits, but it's just Suzuka is just like the fans you see there are incredible. And like you say, I think they'll go like wild for Yuki similar with Mexico. I think Checo being at Red Bull, they were already insanely into Checo before, like when he was just at a midfield team. Now he's got a car that he could win races with. Can you imagine the hype around that? Like that's going to be absolutely insane.
2: Oh, it gets on that train.
1: Yeah. There's, there's, we, we can't have two trains at, at once um really? and Checo's kind of been around oh. for ages so
2: how many hype trains are you allowed at once just the one
1: just well there's there's one main hype train and that's the Yuki train and Checo can't really have like we know that we know Checo's great like he's won a race now so he can't really have his you know what I mean like I don't know I don't know what the rules around hype trains are
0: that's well this is what I'm trying terms to find and conditions yeah. Well, it seems like you're writing them right here, Nate.
1: Yeah, I think so. I'm very much, as with most things, making them up on the fly during this podcast. Um, but yeah, I'm having,
0: I'm very pro having multiple hype trains. So if one comes into problems, you can just jump onto the next one.
1: So you're, you're you're imagining it like Waterloo Station, like there's a bunch of a bunch of platforms and you run between them frantically. And yeah, that's fair. Which exactly. which one you're going to get on? You try. You can't really split yourself across multiple
2: though if you do that. You do have to commit fully to one hype train, buy a ticket, get involved. Well, if they're
1: on adjacent platforms, you'd be running down the platform like, oh, do I get on the Yuki one <laughs> exactly. to my left or do I get to the Chaco one on my right? in the And then beep. you're like, yeah, yeah. And you're like, oh, I've got two seconds to make a decision. All aboard the Yuki train. Yeah, I'd, I'd be straight on. I'd be on the first carriage of the Yuki train. I'd still be walking down it to get a better seat at the front, but I'd be straight on it at the back.
0: And I think the great thing about Yuki is, like we talked about at the start, is that he's, he's such a great person and a great personality. So it's like he's completely backing up his speed on track. So he's like the full, the full package. Um, so I think that's going to get general fans excited about him because they're going to like him. They're going to listen to his team radio and they're going to think this guy is mega. And then he's going to be able to back it up by racing at the front or at least making it entertaining to start with. So oh, look, I'm fully on the Yuki Sonoda hype train.
2: He's already made himself a cult figure, hasn't he? Because he, like, swearing on team radio, like, as a rookie. So most people probably should take that as, wow, the kid can't keep his cool and was stressed in his first practice session. But everyone t- treated it like Kimmy Räikkönen being like, he doesn't give a shit. He's just going <laughs> to, like, get angry in practice. Um, and then I love the little clip. Sorry, before we run out of time, but when it was with Belgian TV, when he went up to them in the TV pen um, and before they started, um, the interview went, um, hello, Yuki, and he went uh, one second and then pulled the microphone down to his level and yeah. readjusted it because he's quite short and then laughed and then was like, that's just my routine everywhere I have to go. So uh, I just love because he's just he's got that self-deprecating humour as well, which is really cool to see. He's a very honest guy. He's probably too harsh on himself sometimes. Um, yeah, he's going to be just a barrel
1: of laughs this year. Let's just make this a Yuki podcast all year. I'm, I'm fully on board with that.
0: <laughs> Me too. I'm in. Yuki Hawk? <laughs> the snow dock snow Yeah, I like it quick
1: quick, final one Lars what was the highlight for you of the, the first weekend back on the ground in Bahrain
0: um, I think it was just the excitement of everyone in the paddock about having a great race everyone seemed excited about Formula 1 again not that they weren't excited beforehand but I don't think I've been in a paddock for the amount of time that I've worked here where people were like oh hang on a minute we've We've actually got a championship fight on our hands between two different teams. We've got lots of things like we just talked about, UK. We've got a resurgent Ferrari. Like, there's so many cool things to talk about. You've even got people like Otmar complaining. Like, you've got literally all aspects of a Formula One season in, in the mix. And, you know, look, it might all go the other way at Imola and Portugal and it might derail. But um, for now, I just say let's just make the most of it and enjoy it. So, that was probably the, the best thing for me.
1: You can sense this real excitement of the the rule change as well next year it's like people are excited about this year and then they're like well there's we don't know what's going to happen next season either so it's like that kind of palpable level of genuinely not knowing um yeah it's it's i'm i'm holding back a little bit because like you say the next two races if Merck kind of step it up and it's like oh it, was, it turns out it was just a bahrain thing we're still <laughs> we're still brilliant everywhere else um that could happen and we know mercedes races well enough. in bahrain then yeah well why not <laughs> let's do it I, I, if they're all as good as that one i'd be happily i'd happily watch that
2: i mean we did three of the last four there so why not very good i point.
0: spent a lot in time in bahrain i think that might be among my top three countries i've ever visited is in terms of number of visits to said country bahrain four times in the last five months bahrain Barreto. bahrain barretto um thanks very much shaps um it's been a pleasure as always please remember to subscribe and follow us on our social channels. You can read Meta's stuff on racer.com, Nate's stuff on ESPN.com, and my stuff on F1.com. We will do this again sometime. Enjoy the ride on the Yuki Sonoda hype train.
1: Choo-choo. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> <laughs> cast Network.